Well, we took a month off after the Euro. <laughs> we, we didn't record in February, but here we are. And what a fucking time to start recording again. Well, Alex, you left your equipment for a month untouched and now I can't record. So you're on Zoom today. How are you? Yeah, I, I'm doing okay. It was a bit of a surprise that my recorder wasn't working, but um, uh, yeah, that's what I get for not touching it and not providing beautiful content for our fans for a whole uh, month. Well, here to provide the beautiful content today, uh, Brian Campion. How are you? Hello, everybody. Yes, geez, you really hung out, Alex, to dry there. First comment, Chris. I know. There's no, hold, there's no holding back now. <laughs> there's a lot of handball to talk about, but let's start with the handball news that came out last night as we're recording on a Tuesday afternoon and the EHF Executive Committee's decision, which was, uh, as they stated on Eurohandball.com, with a view on the war situation in Ukraine and with reference to the recent recommendations of the International Olympic Committee, the Executive Committee of the European Handball Federation convened on Monday for an extraordinary meeting. And from that, the national teams of Russia and Belarus, as as well as Russian and Belarusian clubs competing in European handball competitions, are suspended. This holds true until further notice and relates to all current competitions. A straightforward decision in the end to make, also when the IOC are leading the way with it. That's the way it has gone. So going through the timeline of events, I suppose the first announcement was the uh, Nord Stream 2 announcement, which has been a key partner uh, for the EHF Champions League since 2018-19. Um, a decision was taken on the 25th of February relating to the Nord Stream 2 uh, presence on LED boards, floor stickers, cube spots on the team sleeve badges during the EHF Champions League matches. So the decision was made in close coordination and cooperation with Nord Stream 2 in light of the current development in the situation between Russia and Ukraine, EHF marketing together with its media and marketing partners, Info and Dazone Group, will adapt the advertising setup in the EHF Champions League men accordingly and until further notice will inform all participating clubs. So in essence, the advertising has been removed, but my understanding is that the Full sponsorship has not been cancelled, as we have seen um, done in the men's, sorry, in the football Champions League with Gazprom. So that was the first announcement that came out. Uh, and then on the 25th of February, the first guidance from the IOC came out to just postpone as many games as possible and put them on neutral ground. So uh, Ukrainian games would be played. Uh, so what are Zaporozhye being the team affected? on neutral ground in the future. And then the IOC came out with another statement on the 28th saying that all uh, Russian and Belarusian athletes should be removed from competition, which then led to the statement from DHF that you read out, 
Chris, um, one of the reasonings for this was um, the fact that Ukrainian teams were basically affected and the conflict, you know, causing disruption to Ukrainian teams. So therefore, um, that was the reason to exclude the Russian and Belarusian teams out of the competition. Do you think it's the right decision? Yes, I do, uh, <laughs> to be short. But I think it's it's obviously the Russian players and the Russian people that are suffering because of the actions of uh, the the elites in, in Russia. And I think yeah, from their perspective, probably a little bit unfair because obviously they're not doing a lot of the, the actions and stuff like that, but it's the only way for the world to put pressure on on uh, the people in charge in Russia. So it is, it's tough on obviously the athletes themselves, but I think it's, it's the only way to do things. It's the only way forward, I think. And I think it's probably the only time I remember in living memory that people were agreeing with the decision that FIFA made. I think I've never been in a comment section of a FIFA post where I saw so many people going, wow, <laughs> actually, you know, FIFA, you know, give credit where credit's due. Uh, you, just, you did something right for once because them giving up that gas from sponsorship, I think it's worth 34 million oh, a year. Sorry. Or so UEFA, sorry. Yeah. Uh, giving up the 34 million sponsorship is obviously a, a huge, a huge step for them. and. It's obviously maybe a, di- a bit of a different situation in handball. Would have been a smaller sport. Finding spot a big sponsor like that isn't as always isn't as easy. So in football, you can walk away from a big sponsor. You have another big sponsor knocking on the door. Whereas they maybe don't have that luxury in handball. That's maybe why we see this kind of hesitancy from handball to completely cut ties with such big sponsors. It's not just on the men's side as well. Dalo. Uh, is the title sponsor of the women's competition. That is a Russian logistics company as well and uh, run by somebody, uh, Sergei Shishkarev, who has a uh, strong and close connection to handball. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that goes as well. Um, with FIFA, now they tried to go to this kind of halfway house FIFA with the, the World Cup qualifiers um, saying it'll be like the Russian national team, not Russia, and trying to have the games on neutral ground. Then And then there was a huge act of solidarity from a number of nations saying basically that's not going to happen. And that kind of forced their hand a little bit to to change the decision to a full a full suspension of all the teams. I, th- I think there was no no other decision that could be made, really. It's terrible for the, the athletes, but it's also terrible for the uh, the normal Ukrainian people who have been impacted like that. I mean, it's uh, I've seen a lot of cases of what aboutery in this as well, and asking, you know, why why weren't these decisions made before? Why why isn't it done against Israel? Why wasn't it done against the UK and the USA when they invaded Iraq? That kind of stuff like that. And um, although these, like, let's say, lack of precedence doesn't explain what is happening here or inform what's happening here. This decision now actually does become a precedent for any future things as well, which is, I think is, is really interesting. Uh, if and when there are future conflicts, here is a decision that was made now against Russia and Belarus that will probably have to be made uh, against every nation in sport. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. I suppose on the uh, kind of sticking with the football side, that politics has become a bigger and bigger part of the sport you know for many years uh, UEFA and FIFA have said that you know 
no politics allowed in football to an extent where, you know, taking the knee was seen as uh, politics. Mm. And now we're seeing a very strong political stance uh, from that nation. So it does set a precedence. Um, I do think it is interesting that on the handball side, and of course, a smaller sport, it's a much bigger impact, but it can be taken as a bit of hypocrisy where you're punishing the Russian and Belarusian teams while not removing the sponsorship, you know, removing the sponsor banners is is fine to see what happens. But yeah, I think a lot of people may have been disappointed by that decision to not cut ties with that sponsor, with both sponsors, especially when a, a strong stance is taken on the players. And maybe that, that will still come because the Nord Stream decision uh, was the first one that was made uh, quite early in the conflict. And uh, the guidance at the time was to basically postpone and see how it comes out. Now that there's a much stronger guidance for the IIC and the general, let's say, world <laughs> against Russia and um, Belarus, it does, the EHF may need to reconsider those ties with those sponsors. But definitely a very difficult position for everyone. Yeah, I think no matter what happens, I think it's probably going to, to a certain extent, change the the handball landscape in some way. I mean, not looking at the, the actual situation right now, but you'd imagine in the future with other deals going to come up that it might be somewhat, people might be somewhat more hesitant to go all in on on Russian investment, whatever it may be. So it's it's, I think no matter what happens, it's going to have a huge, a huge effect on sponsorship deals of the future as well. It will have a big effect on the clubs as well. So the teams that are, let's say, most affected in the European competitions are Meshkov Brest, will be removed from the competition. Uh, Tchaikovsky Medvedi will be removed from the European League. Um, and on the women's side, there's Rostov Don and CSK, who both are, you know, big contenders for a championship. I suppose it's. With Meshkov Brest, you know, we're not seeing a dynamic shift in the competition too much. And they've been poor anyway. I think the biggest impact is, you know, whether we will see Meshkov Brest recovering from this. They've already been in significant scandals. The club uh, is undergoing a rotation or at least a change in personnel, a change in coaches. Um, and on the basis of the decision, um, a lot of the players have left. So Meshkov Brest um, came out with a statement that said that uh, a number of players who were going to move on at the end of the season have uh, left uh, the country. So Yaka Malis, uh, who was going to be moving to Göppingen, I believe, left the club um, and the country and uh, Pavel Pashkovsky and Baptiste Bonfant have left the country, even though they're, they're still active players, as well as the coaching du duo of Daniel Gordo and Nanu Farelu. Um, so they have not cut ties with the club, so they're still contracted and active participants of the club, but they have moved away from the country under advice from their embassies depending on how long this 
goes on for, we could see basically the collapse of a Champions League club. There's kind of no way, no two ways about it for Meshkov Brest. Yeah. And uh, interesting now that the women's teams are on a national team break at the moment. So there's Euro qualifiers coming up this week and um, and also some friendly matches, whether the, the players at uh, CSK and uh, even more in, in Rostov Don will even return or whether they will sit out the rest of the season. I mean, that's a, that's an interesting one and a difficult decision uh, for the players to have to make as well what they're going to do uh, because, yeah, I, I imagine also it's not a very, uh, not an ideal place to be in Russia right now as well. Also considering the, the crippling economic uh, sanctions that were made uh, against Russia making life very difficult for for people living there as well so yeah a lot of uh, i think uh, short and long-term effects and uh, i'm sure the news will will change a lot over the coming days uh, and weeks as well um, but it has yeah, a huge impact particularly on the women's competition now mm. uh, because there's uh, a bit of a, a bit of a break now until the the playoffs but so we have to see exactly how it will will play out there. You know, there's two ways people were looking at how the the suspension of the teams would go, whether there's uh, teams will be knocked out and teams just go one place higher or whether they're all the game or the, all the results are annulled. But you actually looked into it, Alex, and, and found that it makes a real difference. Yeah. On the women's side, since the group stages are complete, um, Annulling the results leaves us in the exact same situation as um, we saw with, with the uh, teams competing. So no team actually changes place in either Group A or Group B. So in, in essence, they don't really have to make any decisions on the women's side. You can just yeah uh, annul the results or just keep it as it is. Um, you the just the team um, in seventh being bumped up into the the playoff position on the men's side though with Meshkov Brest you know there is a bit of difference in in how this could be approached so if the games are annulled which was the route that um Euro League basketball took with uh their Russian teams they annulled the games and yeah if, if that happens there, there's a bit of movement uh, in essence Montpellier actually are the team that suffers uh, and they drop down a little bit. So basically the Alborg uh, also dropped down a bit. The other way to go with it is to yeah award 10 nil wins for the remaining two games, which, you know, there's only two games left that might seem like an easy way forward. But then one of those games is against Vardar. Um, and right now there is a, three-way battle between Vardar, Alvarum, and Zagreb for the two remaining spots in the playoffs. And a win for Vardar, a 10-0 win, would pretty much clinch their place in the playoffs. So um, I can see that also being contested. So, yeah, what what would you do? Tough. (laughs) I'm glad I don't have to make that decision. I'm going to be honest. (laughs) <laughs> really hard to know uh, do you have a opinion there Brian I mean my gut reaction was uh, like a 10 nil win but mm. it, it, they are quite crucial games at the same time the thing I was wondering is if I mean it's it's not 
Meshkov Breast's fault that they're in this position. It's not like they were, you know, the whole team was caught doping and then all of the games before that are no longer valid. Um, so maybe they are just, uh, the, the remaining two games because of these sanctions are made 10 nil, uh, which then might be seen as a bit unfair to, to Elvrum and uh, to Zagreb. But yeah, no, I mean, the thing is nothing really is fair in this whole this whole thing, the situation is, I can't imagine there's a solution that really makes everyone happy. Uh, particularly when you look over in Group B, B then and see and wonder whether Motor Zaporozhye will even have an opportunity to continue or e- even if, do they even want to? I mean, what's the situation there, which uh, is really hard to know. Yeah, that that's also something that um, you know, I suppose we haven't thought about that we're talking about people um, who are deeply affected you know the motor players are deeply affected by what is going on and i don't think it is fair to expect them to play any games um but then they're being punished for this and you know it's uh, yeah it's a it's kind of a crazy um situation uh, for those players and you know that there is also the story of um carlos molina the motor player um i don't know if you saw that he uh is a spanish player uh playing in ukraine for motor and um he was actually updating basically they're traveling back from a champions league game and that is when the conflict started so he was basically um his flight uh, had to land in Kiev and then they had to take a bus to Motor Zaporozhye or sorry Zaporozhye which is the city um all the while not knowing what was going on so their flight got redirected um airspace was blocked and he basically um just two days ago got out of the country with the help of uh, Berta Servas and Kielsa mm. so he traveled 800 um, kilometers to uh, Poland to Kielsa um, which took four days um, by car including two days stuck in traffic uh, at the Polish Ukrainian border and uh, just um, uh, actually today on the 1st of March he arrived um, in Kielce uh, to basically seek refuge and I presume return back to his home country. So, you know, these are the situations that this club is facing um, for players that are not Ukrainian. It's even more intense for the Ukrainian players. I can't imagine Motor playing any more games in the Champions League this season. Yeah, it's also... I mean, it's it's still four years away now, but you have to think that in 2026, we're meant to have a Women's European Championship in Russia. And I don't know how long this obviously is going to drag on for. Maybe it's too far away to think about that kind of stuff, but whether, I don't know. It's even hard to imagine that, to be honest, at the, at the moment. Yeah. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's try and cheer ourselves up a bit, will we? Yeah, I think a good way to cheer ourselves up is to look at the nominations for the IHF <laughs> World Player of the Year 2021. Sorry, lads, we already decided it. <laughs> uh, Maybe, Chris, you can give the 
the novelist. Yeah, sure. So they uh, announced it. Was it yesterday? And or the day before, and we have Denmark's Nicholas Landin, we have Spain's Alex Dushbaev, we have Denmark's Matthias Giesel, we have France's Ludovic Fabregas, and we have Sweden's Jim Goffridsson. Matthias Giesel, it is. We already decided it, and we had this conversation uh, right before the Euro. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's no point in, in discussing it any further. We had a whole podcast on it. We did, we did. But their, their time and their time and is is really impeccable, though. You have to say that, like you know, yeah. just a world war, a world war break, not world war breaks out, but a war breaks out, and then they go, no, we'll just make the announcement now for the World Player of the Year for last year. Right now, it's like they almost didn't want anyone to see it. They're just like, okay, now no one's no one's looking. Here's a question for you. Among the five, Nandine, Dushabayev, Giesel, Fabregas, Goffredson, like we had other players in our like final group there, like DKMM was there, uh, Gerard was there. Are there any of those five who you think on reflection, and again, we can't think about last month's Euro because that was a new year, mm. that on reflection that don't belong in those five? Well, I suppose we, you, you, you said it, that the, our three finalists um, were... Dikamem, Paris de Vargas, and Matias Gissel. Mm. And Dikamem and Paris de Vargas are missing from the list. <laughs> um, so basically, it's very clear for us. Um, I don't know, Fabregas, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. I think he has not actually been at the highest level uh, for a little while now. I, I don't think he you know, he doesn't get ahead of DKMM for me. Yeah, even Alex Dushabayev, um, while he's an incredible player, he's done incredible things. I think Paris de Vargas gets ahead of him as a Spanish representative there. Yeah. yeah. Um, G- G- and Jim Godfrey's is going to win it anyway, because everyone remembers the last tournament. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the problem with doing the vote so late. Everyone's yeah. t- thinking of the wrong stuff. But I, I feel like, do you know when you go into Google and you put in handball and then you get a few pictures of players that come up at the very top? I think they go on every year and they go handball in this year and they get five or six pictures that come up and go, they're the nominations. Clearly, Google has voted for it and that's what we're going to go with. <laughs> Bertrand Gilles. Who votes for this? Like, who, who makes the decision? Uh, the final decision? Yeah. I, th- I think it's fans. Uh, voting opens on March 7th. So it's a fan only vote. <laughs> uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I. I. I uh, I'm not gonna. I'll have a look in the meantime. Um, oh. Oh, and they've also introduced the women's one. So they they've beaten us to that. I mean, for about three weeks, we'll have a. Uh, we'll give you an insight into the inner workings of the podcast. As uh, we've all had busy lives in February, but we have been hoping to do the women's uh, World Handball Player of the Year. Let's have a look at the. So the women's one uh, is Kari Bratzit from Norway and Djur, Pauletta Foppa from France and Brest, Stina Oftedal, Norway and Djur, Sandra Toft, Denmark and Brest, and Grasadi, France and Rostov. It's a better list, I think. With the women's side and the short attention span of the IHF, they literally have the last the, the last tournament is actually within the calendar year they're talking about so they have a distinct advantage rounding of the year yeah 
So um, voting details, right? And this gives you a bit of an insight. So the IHF World Handball Player of the Year awards are now back in full swing <laughs> after the 2020 edition had been cancelled due to handball being ground to a halt throughout the year by the COVID-19 pandemic. False. <laughs> there was quite literally two European championships and... But, and the men's Champions League title was decided then. Um, that's, that's the equivalent that's of going. That's the equivalent of going. My dog ate my homework, pretty much. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah the audacity to try and say that's why it was cancelled uh, this year. The fan voting for the IHF World Handball Player of the Year will run from Monday, seventh of March, until midnight on the twenty eighth of March. The IHF will announce the winner on the twenty eighth of March. Ian Gottfriedson, Player of the Year 2021 for his amazing performance in the EHF Championship in 2022. 100%. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> As for the women's one, well, hopefully by the next podcast, we'll, uh, we'll decide that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. One thing, though, that did come out that... Sheds a different light on one of the players that was nominated for the women's side. Sandra Toft, who is moving to Dior next year. Yeah. yeah. For so many years, she was the shining light of the anti-Dior brigade. She literally, literally said it. <laughs> to us, where she said she doesn't want to win the Champions League. She wants to win the Champions League. She doesn't want to win it with Dior yeah. because it'll be much better. And yeah. uh, yeah, she's decided to move. So, <laughs> oh, she could still win it with Brest this season. Uh, that's there's still a chance, but yeah, she's finally given in and uh, moving to Jura. I mean, look, you know, <laughs> only so you know, if you can't beat them, join them, as they say, and uh, you can't blame her for uh, for making the move eventually. So, yeah, other transfer news we had, uh. Pierre-Kimar Ellison uh, moving to Veshprem, which was predicted by you, Chris. Yeah, well, I say I'm, I don't want to take too much credit. I kind of linked him with every single Champions League club in Europe. <laughs> I knew he was going to the Champions League. I was like, but which team? But in the end, is when Veshprem did kind of... It is, it, is it is a good move. It's the kind of player that Veshprem usually get in the wing. Um, and... You know, we ha we did joke about him, like uh, you know, better get used to not getting the ball and all that. Um, but Vesprem's top scorer this season has been Gaspar Margic on the right wing, and uh, and you know, Manu Sterlek is pretty high. Manu Sterlek's not been doing so badly on the left wing as well. Yeah, I mean, they they do like fast breaks, though. I don't know. Um, I think he'll do fantastically well, and he uh, he's been very very good this season. He seems to be hitting his peak as a player. And so. we we know that Maniscoff is the one leaving, don't we? Yeah, exactly. But we don't know where he's going to yet. No, he's got a knee injury at the moment as well, so uh, I don't know what the uh, what the plan for him is. Other big news is Christian Berger. Um, moving on from Norway and of making his move to Kolstad official, rumored for a long time uh, that he would go to the big Kolstad project. Obviously, he's been, uh, you know, talking to the Kolstad uh, 
staff and players for a little while before making this decision if he's ready to take over immediately. And um, he was given the ultimatum by the Norwegian Handball Federation saying that, you know, you can't do both. Uh, one or the other, decide as soon as possible. Uh, and after their, I don't know what to call uh, their performance in the last European Championship because Norway were seconds away from, you know, who knows, winning the whole thing. Uh, they, they had the chance to do that after a disappointing start, but we did say it, it felt like an end of an era, and I think it's probably good um, for that Norwegian team to move on and see who they can get. You know, it, it'll be difficult to replace or replicate what Christian Berger has done with the team, but maybe they can get someone in to really bring this generation to the next level, involve the players on the outskirts and rebuild the team into a medal-winning team. If you were in charge now, who would you, off the top of your head, pick who I think is perfect for that Norway job? Uh, the current Norwegian European champion, <laughs> Glenn Solberg. <laughs> but I think that, I think I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna uh, snap him away from Sweden very easily. Yeah, honestly, this is the first time I've uh, really thought about it. Uh, I reckon Mikael Applegren is a good one there. He mm. was the Elvrum coach. He's currently with Sevahoff. And while well, Sevahoff's been amazing in the European League this year, they've really been like the um, the surprise package of the competition. Uh, and he is a Swede, but he has he knows the Norwegians very well. Borgelund, I mean, he just left as assistant coach of Norway to take like to so I guess he got also an ultimatum from them saying you can't do both so he decided for Elverum so probably not maybe Magnus Andersen could be an option or I mean the the Porto coach he's um he's very good as well Swede though uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of people Sweet though, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a, very, very well, good Glenn Solberg. Glenn Solberg is actually Norwegian, but he's he belongs to the Swedes. I, I reckon there's a lot of people who would have their eye on that job. So, would you ever go for something like left field from Bjarte Mirhol if he ever wants to? Uh, legend of the Norwegian team, but I was just thinking that you know Norway doesn't really have these uh, former play former legends who have turned to coaches and are now kind of leading the way since the Norwegian um, I'd say success is so new uh, relatively in the history of handball. They don't have another generation of guys from 20 years ago, which are now experts. Well, there, there is Christian Schelling, who we did have on the podcast uh, during the last or the previous Men's Euro 2020. He's Dramon coach at the moment, and he is a bit of a legend. So he could be a, could be a shot as well. That'd be hiring from within but not much international coaching experience do you ever think there'd be some sensational scoop that they get Herr Grierson over from the women's team and just have him have him swap over you never see it though Champions League winner Ole Ekstad uh, I think he's done some men's coaching before but yeah hard to see him leave Vipers yeah, yeah it's uh, it's an interesting one um, honestly 
if you asked what I would do if I was in charge, if I was in charge, I would have let Christian Perga take both jobs for a while and see how it worked out because then he'd quite literally be coaching half of the national team day in, day out. I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it is strange, isn't it, that they have this setup. Maybe Norway just didn't want it. The Norwegian Federation didn't mm-hmm. want this dependency on one club and one way of working. But there's got to be a clash of, no, it's a really tough job for any coach that comes in. So coach comes in, all the players are used to playing one style, which is Christian Berger's style for the last you know eight years that he's been there. Then on top of that, he also has players currently playing the Christian Berger style of handball at their clubs and including pretty much all the top players. And so it's a tough ask. If only they had Christian Berger and Borgelund coaching the team together. Oh, wait, they did last year. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is really unusual when you think about it. I mean, Norway were on the fringes of kind of obscurity on the, on the national team front, on the men's side anyway, for a long time. And he t- takes them from that to to basically stardom. And then they give him an ultimatum like that. And you think almost, with someone who did like did that, you think you almost have, would have a clean slate. He's like uh, Marcelo Bielsa of the, of the handball world. You know, Leeds United kicking him out the door after he took him from the doldrums of the championship. Oh, that hurts, does it, Brian? That hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I think at the end of the day, it is actually a good decision to move on from Christian Berger. We've talked about how stale they've become, a little bit stale they've become. Um, and getting someone else in can bring in top players that they have coming up through the teams like Tobias uh, Grandal to integrate them into uh, a leading player in this team. Yeah. Um, other national team news, everyone's favorite freelance handball coach, Per Johannesson, has taken over the Netherlands, uh, which I think is uh, a nice gig for him. Uh, we'll see if he can still be Rostov Don coach uh, in a while, whether that's happening or not. But in the meantime, he's got the Dutch women. It's a pity that Monique Teisterman didn't stay on. She just wanted like uh, to kind of fill the gap for a little bit. But yeah, Perry Anderson, uh, I guess he stayed too long with Rostov and, and needed something else to to shake things up a little bit. Too long in one place. Yeah, he definitely doesn't like staying around too long in one place. But uh, it's an interesting one personality-wise because I think it's quite different to what they've had before. So it'll be, he seems to have... Uh, gone to a lot more of the, the Slavic side of things for quite quite a while so it's going to be interesting to see how he gets on with the Dutch girls he can't he can't he's not he's not going to send them on the bus home you know what I mean <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. remember that quote that could be a clash of uh, clash of personalities there we'll find out well, before we go there was some handball being played as well in the last few weeks and uh, Brian and I went to a couple of games together uh, most recently Barca against Vesprem which uh, was a real Clash of two halves, to use the the, the, the well well trodden phrase, but uh, really nice to be well to be in Barcelona first of all, and uh, to be there for a game like that with a good crowd as well, wasn't it, Brian? Yeah, I mean, I've been you know going to games on this side of Europe for quite some time, so going to going to uh, Hungary a lot or certain parts of Germany. And it's, it was a great treat to finally go over to the other side of Europe for a game. It's a completely different experience. And I think the last time I was in Camp Nou, I think we were there with the, the Irish team. Yeah. And we were training. Play, we were playing. <laughs> playing there, yeah. So that's a long time ago. And, uh, so I, I have always good memories of going to Barcelona for anything handball related. 
So it was it was great to be there, and also I think I think we saw some some sparks of maybe uh, what might come uh, from this Barcelona setup. I think they've, especially in attack, obviously been struggling quite some quite a lot. But I think in the second half they kind of sh- showed some elements, not not as the free flown Barcelona of the past, but they did the job on on Vesprim, and I think Vesprim kind of just did no. It felt like they had nobody to turn to in the second half to kind of get them out of that hole that they were sucking. Mm. I, I don't know what it seemed like to you, Chris. Yeah, they, like, it was funny talking to the players just after the game like, and also hearing some Vesprem co- quotes this week. They were very happy with how the first half went and they kind of just wrote off the second half as like, okay, that was an away loss. But Barca in attack in that second half were as good as I've seen them uh, since last season, basically. And uh, Gonzalo Perez de Vargas was uh, looking at it from from his own goal, and, and what he said was, you know, this the systems that Antonio Carlos Ortega have implemented are uh, very advanced and take time to to really get into place. And he said, in defense, we're still getting there, but I think today we saw an attack, everything click. So that is quite exciting that they've. Uh, you know, just at the second half of the season, they're only really starting to find their way. I mean, for players like that to say these are very advanced systems as well, it's quite terrifying yeah. also. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't even comprehend uh, what, what that could be. But yeah, Barca haven't been too impressive, but they're, they've been getting the wins that they needed to. They have Sindrich coming back from injury, which is very important. For their attack, and um, I, I think they've struggled a lot without him in there. They have lost Blas uh, Jans for uh, a little bit with an injury, but uh, I don't think he's been as crucial a player for them this season, especially with um, Alex Gomez there on the right wing lighting it up. Yeah, overall, does it seem like there is? No team that's actually impressing at the moment in the Champions League. So well, every team seems to have a bit mm. of issues. I mean, I, I think that's understandable, though, isn't it? After the Euro as well. Also, when you when you think of like Alborg being the top dog in one group, and they're like on a five-game winning streak, but they had so many players play so deep in the Euro. Barca, Kielce and Alborg have kind of stood out for me since the turn of the year in a good way. Um and you know in the Champions League though they've only played two rounds but, but for me those three Kielce, Alborg and, and Barca have been pretty good but yeah I mean, nobody's beating anyone by 15 goals if that's what you mean yeah it's it's more uh, looking at the whole competition and basically mm-hmm. usually the uh, what we talk about is you know there's these three or four dominant teams who we see going through um that's what you want, isn't it? It is. It is. But I, I don't know. There is competition throughout. Um, there is a lot of, you know, all the spaces in the playoffs are open, as in every team that's still involved in, in the competition can still make the playoffs. That's fantastic. Um, all the games are tight, unpredictable. But there seems to be an element of, you know, doesn't feel like there's any teams that are really, really good at the moment. Or is there one, Brian? No, I had the exact same feeling. Even at the last two games I was at, I was looking at Flensburg. I was like, okay, they're they're way off the pace at the moment. And I thought, oh, Kielce probably did enough there. And then I went to the Barcelona 
uh, Vesperum game, I go, that was it was good, but they're probably still off the final four pace. And then I thought, wait a second, who am I comparing them to? I compared them to almost memories of teams I've remembered from past seasons who were really like crushing it. So I do think probably the overall level does seem a little bit lower. Where that that could be obviously a lot of reasons. That I think it's a lot of chopping and changing in different teams and every time you turn around Vesperm is a new coach so it's it's hard for them to always keep readjusting <laughs> um, uh, well just on just on that David Davies being back in Varda holy moly what, oh, yeah. a, what a difference he made speaking of of Vesperm coaches uh, fair play to David to, uh, for rejuvenating that Varda team some people just belong in certain places and you feel like his place is Varda so I hope he I hope he can keep on trucking there because that's a uh, if uh, if they do anything at all, it's going to be an incredible story. Like, yeah, imagine going being those Bardar players and having uh, Vujovic as your coach for a year or like half a year that he's been in. You know, one of the meanest meanest guys at handball, and then Davidovis comes in and he's just the you know the nice guy. Uh, yeah. It must be such a it, pretty easy to get that new coach boost. Davies blows the cobwebs off the, the remote control on the TV. It was like, look, that's time to do some video. <laughs> Sit down, boys. <laughs> Remember this? <laughs> <laughs> on the music in the dressing room. A bit of reggaeton comes on. The players start vibing. That's, you know, we're, we're in a new age. All right. Well, I think we, we managed to uh, sufficiently bring up the mood over the course of the podcast then. I think uh, it's as good as time as any to leave it. And we'll be back for the next podcast. We promise to do the Women's Handball Player of the Year for 2021.